we are back for another edition of the SBK betting podcast and what a weekend we have in store. The inaugural running of the SBK Clarence House Chase. And unless you've been living under a rock for the last couple of weeks, you will know that we've been waiting and hoping that there, that there would be the clash that we've honestly been waiting for since last March. We were deprived, deprived of it when Enigamine was unable to get to Cheltenham. Uh, for the Arkle, but now it's on Shishkin versus Enigamine and what is going to be a showstopper of a race and James Millman, Ross Miller and Tom Collins all alongside me to take us through this and three other key races from a brilliant day at Ascot on Saturday. So hi to the guys and we'll get straight into the three races ahead of our big deep dive into the Clarence House as there's some good punting races alongside uh, for what looks to be a nice Saturday. So Ross, Tom and James will kick off with the 145, the SPK Holloway's handicap hurdle. A really good roll call in the past uh, for this race, including Craigney. She went on to run a blinder in second in the Coral Cup last year and subsequent long distance hurdle winner Thomas Darby the year before. What I thought was interesting about this race is we've seen some good price winners of this in the past. Gary Clermont heads the betting at nine to two, only one pound he's up from his good run in a, in a handicap at this track behind Tritonic over Christmas. Stella Magic's five to one, unexpected party six to one. Phil de Doree, a new recruit for Nikki Henderson is eights with Smurfy Enke and Capeson. And it's nine to one, bigger the rest. I will head to James Millman first and uh, have a chat about this race as I thought, looking back on years gone by, this has been a race where some sort of more unexposed handicappers, maybe having their first run in more open grade, have sort of come to their own, specifically at this kind of time of the year where they've had a couple of races under the, under their belt. And I thought this was filled with some horses that perhaps could give a horse like Gary Claremont, who's had a couple of years now in this sphere, a bit of a run for their money. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Gary Clement has arguably been running in stronger races at Ascot as well. Uh, cracking third behind Tritonic. Off a mark of 142. He's up another pound. He's actually £13 higher than his Weatherby win uh, back in May. So he's, he's probably at the kind of limit of his potential. Whereas, as you mentioned, there's a few novices coming in here. And I like one in particular, Stella Magic, who was unbeaten in his first three starts. He won his Irish point to point nicely in February. Last winter, he won a couple of races around Taunton, beat Ala Philippe quite impressively, and a strong novice in January. And there was something amiss when he tried to carry the double penalty. Uh, good return at Haydock. He was very well backed in the run-up to that contest behind up for parole, who I didn't think run badly in Lanzarote. He, he was held up at the back of the field where not many made much progress. He has gone up four pounds, but he looks like a, a nice, slightly raced, progressive type. And, and I think he's won the Hobbs like uh, long-term as well. So for me, you mentioned that kind of progressive profile and, and, and that's what Stella Magic's got. And, and that's where I'm ending up for his first one of Ascot. Five to one with Michal Nolan on board. And he's gone up a few pounds for that good run last time out, but he's still sort of in, in between that sort of mid 130s mark, which is sort of the sweet spot for a race like this. Uh, Ross, I'll come to you next in terms of what uh, um, James has said there about those horses and what I've mentioned about horses coming into the, their sort of prime now after a few runs under their belt, uh, perhaps having their first uh, first few goes in this in this kind of grade. Is there a horse like that, like Stella Magic, or perhaps it even is Stella Magic that you're you, you're looking to for this? Yeah, I, I came down to Smurf Yankee, who I think is is progressive, and unlike a lot in this field, and Stella Magic including that, a lot of them are creeping up the weights without winning. 
uh, Cateson, Gary Claremont, Stella Magic, they're all getting up in the weights without actually winning. Uh, Smurphy Enki race off 127 here, which is the same mark he was second off at, at Fontwell. And that was potentially a slightly disappointing result. But I do wonder whether, given his time again, whether Jamie Moore might have been a bit more patient. He was quite forceful, quite aggressive, and then got run down quite late on by a, a fairly unexposed horse of Tom Simmons' history bell. Um, so I thought 127, up in trip, I think will suit him well. And he's still very well handicapped off the back of a couple of novice hurdle runs, two wins at Plumpton last year. Mark of 127, I think he's better than that. Um, and I, I think he's a, a nice price at eight to one. Tom Cannon also back on board, a winning partner. I know that um, Chris Gordon likes to use the services of Jamie Moore when he can, but that's uh, nice to have Tom Cannon back on board as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's not a criticism of Jamie. I just think the way the race panned out, he thought he had it to go and win and actually something came out of the pack and, and, and got to him late. Tom Cannon's won on this horse before, rides plenty of times for Chris Gordon, so he's certainly a, a positive booking. He's eight to one, and there's not much separating a lot of these horses in the betting, uh, nine to do the field. Tom, I'll come to you next. Um, we've heard a word for Smurfy Enki and for Stella Magic. I'm going to actually go quite left of centre and disregard everything I've said about horses that usually are like going into this race, because this Brie Large is a horse that I thought put in his best performance since his Henry VIII uh, novice chase win all those years ago when he was second at Exeter last time. He doesn't really, as I say, have the profile you'd want in a race like this, but I just think they might be getting him back to where he was at his very best, and he's 13 to 1. Is that a mad thought, or, or what, have, what have you thought about this race? No, it's not a mad thought. Um, I just prefer the, the more unexposed types in here. Um, and this could be a podcast first, but I've looked at this race exactly the same as Ross Miller. I don't think that's ever happened before. Um, <laughs> but I'm also with Smurfy Yankee here um, for Chris Gordon and Tom Cannon. I emulate uh, everything Ross has said. I, I completely agree with his argument. The fact that Gary Claremont's gone up in the weights, unexpected party, gone up in the weights to make them not a bet for me. Um, Smurfy Yankee was considered a really talented novice hurdler last year. He was a really good bumper horse, actually. It wasn't beaten too far um, behind Iron Maximus and My Drogo in a Cheltenham bumper. Um, and a mark of 127 looks perfectly fair. Around nine to one with SBK is a good price. Well, there's always a first for everything. We like a bit of that. Two shrewd judges. And by the great Blue Brazil, the sire of the great Constitution Hill. And uh, look, he's going from strength to strength. So uh, Smurf Yankee coming into this of what could be quite a nice uh, mark of 127 but for James at Stella Magic for me Esprit Delage it's a proper good each way bet um, for a bit of Esprit Delage and um, we'll head into the next race we're going to we're going to feature the four the 220 the SBK Mare's Hurdle uh, won in a romp by Roxana last year and there is one mare that returns to Mare's only company following a bit of a short break and one that I feel warrants much respect and I just believe probably should be shorter than the price of nine to four currently. And that's Molly Ollie's Wishes, who heads the betting alongside Western Victories. They're joint favourites at nine to four. My sister Sarah, three to one. Anything for love is eights. White Hot Chili Philly, 13 to one. An impressive lady uh, completes it at 17 to one. Um, James, I'll come back to you. As I've said, Molly Ollie's Wishes didn't really look like it was her true running um, when she ran in the Coral Hurdle last time. I think you could put a line through that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, she was a little bit disappointing. Um, but I like your point in the intro. She's back against the Mayors. Her last four runs against the Mayors. She's won four of those contests and was impressive at Weatherby on her return, beating Miranda by five lengths. So I kind of look at this race as an angle. Western victory, I wanted to oppose purely because 
Um, she's a mayor that's moved yards effectively mid-season. Um, no distract around the Vels team, but I think a mayor might just take a little bit longer to, to, to adapt to new surroundings. And Declan Queeley, who trained and actually rode her quite a bit over in Ireland, he knew her exceptionally well. And I, I just felt she could be vulnerable um, as one that's pretty strong in the market. So Molly Zosterich is, is, is the obvious one to, to go with. Um, yeah, she never really really went much zest against Buzz, but it, when they take on the Guild and some of these mares do struggle and, and they kind of dominate their own sex a little bit more. So I'm with her. My sister Sarah would be the main danger for me as the other three UK mares, they've got a fair bit to find. So small field, tight contests, but I think the skeletons will try and get back-to-back wins in this race. Yeah, they went quite a good gallop um, set by Song for Someone in the Coral Hurdle and it was over two miles, three and a half furlongs. She's now back up in distance, which will suit her. Tom, I'll come to you next. Like she, she's, They've obviously played around a little bit with her trip, um, but this looks like an optimum, her optimum distance, really just a really good opportunity. And we've seen some, some classy mares win this race and really show their, their authority in races like this in the past. Yeah, exactly. I think this has probably been the plan um, for, a, for quite a while for Molly's Eyes Wishes. Um, she's obviously unbeaten the last four runs in mares only races, um, which is a clear positive. Um, and much like James, I, I don't really like the chance of Western Victory. I think she's far too short in the market. Um, it's hard to compare the, the Irish and the UK mares form, but, but uh, I prefer Molly Ollie's Wishes anyway. Um, the fact she was taken on bars and then she took on the likes of Brewing Up a Storm in the National Spirit just shows the regard that uh, Dan and Harry Skelton obviously hold her in. Um, and in December 2020, she proved the flat right-handed track over three miles, perfect for her. Um, she beat Impressive Lady that day. She reopposes here. I can't see that form being turned around. So Molly Ollie's Wishes, who surprising to me, wasn't favourite in the Antipos markets um, and is surely going to go off favourite, um, is the play in this race. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think 94 as we speak is a, pr- a bit of a gift for Molly Ollie's Wishes. Um, but Ross, I know you like taking on favourites. I know you like trying to find a bit of value in there. Could you find it in what is quite a trappy little contest? Yeah, I, I mean, I fully respect Molly's Ollie's wishes, but I'm not a big fan of horses jumping up hugely in trip or dropping down hugely in trip for that matter. And she was keen enough in both her runs this year, two miles at Weatherby and then two mile three last time. Um, she's going to need to settle better than that to see out the three miles um, given that my sister Sarah will give her a stern test. I was quite taken with her win at, Kem- at Kempton um, on a penultimate start. Um, she looked in a spot of bother turning in and then very quickly put the race to bed and, and was a wide margin winner. I don't think the, two, the drop back to two and a half miles at Leopardstown suited her and she was, she was beaten a good distance, but the three that, that filled the first three spots, Royal Kahala, uh, Heaven Help Us and Tell Me Something Girler, are right to the front of the mayor's the, the mayor's hurdle betting for Cheltenham. Um, so it was a, a significantly deeper race than this is. Um, I think history has shown us that generally the Irish mayors are, have more strength in depth. Um, and I, I thought she would would give Molly's Oddies wishes plenty to do, particularly if uh, the Dan Scalfin horse is keen in the early stages and, and doesn't leave itself an awful lot of petrol left for the closing stages. Mm, yeah, interesting. Obviously, uh, my sister Sarah is, is joining... Uh, another Willie Mullins recruit that's coming over and like they've seen the opportunity you may as well bring them over in the lorry at the same time so that it's it's it's, it's clearly uh work before with her she's come over and and won and won at, at Kempton well and as you say I thought the run at Leopardstown was like disappointing but if you do look through that 
that that race as it's stacked up, it, there could be a bit more substance in that. Um, Western victory, it's an interesting move to Emma Lavelle. What do you think about um, James's comments about moving horses at this point of the season? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know the Declan Queeley yard all that well, but I would know that it would be a significantly smaller operation than, than Emma Lavelle's yard. Um, and, and having mares at home myself, yeah, you know, ch changing weather, flowers sprouting, you name it, they notice it. And they, they do just take a little bit more settling and managing than in general the, the, the boys do. So for exactly the same reason as, as James and Tom, that's why I, I overlooked her. Yeah, it's a, you know, a curious case of these mares. Sometimes they can throw in the towel if they want to. Sometimes they can be electric. And that's what Roxana was this time last year. And I, I think that they're trying to find a nice replacement for her, the skeletons and Molly, Ollie's wishes. Well, uh, James, Tom and I believe will be able to prove that um, come 2.20 on Saturday. But my sister Sarah, for Ross, uh, in, the small, in one of the smaller fields of the day, but still good good race to look forward to uh, ahead um, on Saturday. The most competitive race from a betting perspective at Ascot on Saturday is the handicap chase over, uh, over two miles and five furlongs at 2.55. Five of the eight runners come into this off the back of a win, not least Palmer's Hill, who has thrived back over fences this season. This has been a really, really good race, a good handicap in the past. Dashel Drasher won this off. 11 stone 10 last year, surname in 2019 off a big weight too. And, uh, you know, based on that, it's unsurprising that it's, uh, from a betting perspective, quite a tricky one to pick out. Palmer's Hill, 11 to 4. Fanny and Dresdeval, 11 to 2. Phoenix Way is 7 to 1. Uh, we've got Killer Clown at 6 to 1. Golden Whiskey, 9 to 1. Night in Dubai, 8 to 1. And Larry is 15 to 1. Um, James, I'll, I'll come to you first and we'll just discuss my thoughts on this race, having a look at the last winners and, and what they've done off huge, huge weights, no mean feat, difficult to do round Asker as well. Would that put you off, Fanny and Destreval, who comes into this race off the back of a very good victory? And Lucy Turner, importantly, taking seven pounds off his back, a big, big moment for her. Yeah, it's a big ride for Lucy, but... A theme that I've often explored on, on the podcast is picking horses that are going to be overpriced due to their rider and punters perceived bias against said rider. And, and, and we had a nice win with Dolphin Square at uh, Cheltenham with, with David Maxwell on board. And Lucy Turner, another £7 claim in amateur. She rides very, very well. Venetia gives her a lot of chances and she generally takes those chances with both hands. She had a cracking Christmas period. I think she had four rides and three winners and a second. Uh, she's has a lot over fences for Venetia. She's eight from fifty-two over fences, and the horse itself, I thought, was 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 really impressive when he won at Newbury. Back into an easier handicap, having contested open graded contests, he ran in in the Clarence House last year, and he got beaten nine lengths by first flow, which is a good effort when probably two miles is on the, on the sharp side for him nowadays. That two and a half mile trip, so I'm well in the old round behind all mankind, only beaten four lengths, and then he was. Very impressive. Could have won much further at Newbury last time. Charlie's obviously at um, Haydock anyway, riding Royal Guy, and, and Lucy takes off £7, so that does take him down to 11.5. I just think you're going to get a bigger price purely because Lucy's riding them, and I don't think that's a negative at all. She's very good over a fence. Um, Fanny Deschevelle likes not to be fiddled with. He likes to have it all his own ways. He's got a very economical style, a little bit low 
over his fences. But if Lucy sits quiet on him, I think the seven-man claim will be a big positive and you're going to get a nice price about him. Yeah, five to one. He's one of those horses that took him two years to win a, a race following his, his first race for Venetia. Would that worry you? Or do you think he's just couldn't really hold his own in the top, top class and that this is more realistic despite that big weight he's got to lump around? Uh, well, he's two from four in handicaps. Um, he was second to Magic Saint on his comeback last season at Cheltenham. He isn't quite open class when he means off-level weights. Um, I think he's shown he can carry big weights. He carried 11-12 when, when he won at Newbury. Um, he just comes up short at, at the top level and he often runs with credit. Like I say, that Clarence House form was good. I don't think he's been losing because he's been throwing away opportunities he should have won. He just hasn't arguably been good enough. And he's one of those kind of moonlight horses, but Venetia's kind of found the right races. And I didn't think this was overly competitive, um, bearing in mind the prize money. So I think Venetia's found it a cracking race for him. Yeah, I think it's pretty admirable that she would throw him into a race like this. He's, he's a decent enough price. I think he's about 20 to 1 at the moment for the Ryanair. So he's clearly got, um, you know, plenty of ability, plenty of potential. Tom, um, I'll come to you next. As based on what James was saying, you know, jockeys wise, Lucy hasn't ridden uh, Fanning Disreval yet. He's possibly, I'd imagine, done a lot with him at home. Does that kind of thing put you off, put you on, you know, seven pounds coming off his back is a big positive. But again, you know, John Joe Neal Jr. on the likes of Palmer's Hill, it's, uh, it's, it's no mean feat. Yeah, well, the fact that he's got 11 stone 12 and he would have to give upwards of 13 pounds to the rest of his um, rivals if uh, a full professional jockey was on board. I think the £7 claim here for Lucy Turner is a huge tick in the box of Fanyan Destreval. I'm in the same camp as James. I think he's going to win this race. Arguably, his Newbury victory in Handicap Company last uh, last time out was the best performance we've seen in a handicap chase this year. It earned him an RPR of 164. Now, that's the same as Fiddler on the Roof who finished second in the Labrooks Trophy got, um, obviously beaten by Cloudy Glenn, but his he was carrying a lower weight, so his RPR wasn't as high. Um, prior to that, his fourth in the old run chase was really eye-catching. He flew home. He was out the back of the TV for much of the way. Um, and as they crossed the line, he wasn't beaten too far at all. Real eye-catcher. Um, I think he's just a class in this race. Venetia Williams has a 57% strike rate with her chases at Ascot this season. Four from seven, which is a big tick in the box. She seems to run her best chases at Ascot. Um, and also, as James said, he finished fourth in the Clarence House last year. To run in the Clarence House and now run in a handicap chase is a big difference. Um, I think he's a class of the race and will win. 11 to 2 is a great price. And Asuka, you know, as you mentioned, has been a good track to Venetia. Uh, it's a slightly different test, obviously, to Newbury, where he seems to really excel. And, and, and Venetia has made no bones about that either. So you look at that run in the Clarence House, even though he was fourth beaten a good few lengths by first blow, enough to suggest that he at least handles the track. Yeah, definitely. He 100% handled the track that day. They went really hard in the Clarence House last year and first flow kind of won the race um, a fair way out. Fanyan Destreval, who's not at his best over two miles, as James said, was staying on well um, in the closing stages. A couple more strides, he may have even got up to third or second. Um, so that was a really eye-catching effort. He seemed to handle Ascot very nicely. Um, I wouldn't be saying that there's a big difference between Newbury and Ascot as to which he prefers. Hopefully he'll prove that he handles Ascot even better than Newbury on Saturday. Yeah, definitely James and Tom is, have kind of tweaked my thinking when coming into this. I just thought I was just finding Destreval, taking him a good few years to get that win again. And he's now been massively penalised. Lucy, it's a big moment for her. Um, I like to hope that she um, she has a, a great race ride on this horse. 
but I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty competitive. I thought it was a good race. And I, I like Palmer Hill coming into this um, off the back of his two good wins. And obviously he's got a, a nice, a better weight in his favor. Uh, Ross, listening to what the guys said about Fanny and Jester clearly the class horse in the race. You like to take on favorites. Are you in their camp as well? Uh, I'm not, but they made a very compelling argument, didn't they? They're making me th think <laughs> yeah. again. Um, I take on board all they say. I, I entirely agree. Lucy Turner is very, very good value for a seven pound. I just have the opinion that Fanny Destral is a, I wouldn't say a complicated horse, but I think he takes a bit of knowing. Like he can run in snatches. He can jump a little bit out to his right. He can fiddle one. And I think if you're going to pick a jockey to suit that horse in the weighing room at the moment, it's Charlie Deutsch every time. He, you know, we've said it a couple of times on the podcast. He's phenomenal over fences and, and getting better this season. So she has got big boots to fill. Just from that point of view, I'm not the seven pound claim. She's great value for it. Um, and I take on board that Tom said he got a very good figure last time at Newbury, but he beat Colorado Doc, who's a three miler um, and thoroughly exposed, admittedly in easy fashion. And so for those two reasons, I wanted to look elsewhere. I'm wondering whether I'm being a bit foolish now, but but I really like Palmer's Hill. I was very impressed with his win at Ascot last time, having been entirely against him when we previewed that race. Um, he travelled very well. Crucially, his jumping was much, much slicker last time than it had been at any point over fences up until then. Um, and his last furlong was very impressive. You know, you couldn't have said he was going to be a certain winner going to two out. But going to one out, it was a case of how far he was, he was going to win. Um, so this extra two furlongs here, I think, can help him offset this eight-pound rise. Um, and, and I was quite sweet on him against uh, against the boys' choice, but they did they did sound very compelling. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you on all those points because I I was the same as you. I thought Palmer's Hill really surprised me at Ascot last time, and where I'd gone against him, and he looked like he was. You know, there weren't the moments of, of worry, but he actually got it together um, in the end quite well. And I just like the partnership. I think it brings out the best in John Joe O'Neill um, Jr. as well. Uh, 11 to 4, he's a lot skinnier than Fanny de Straval at 11 to 2. I think it's going to be a really fascinating race. The class might come forward, but Palmer's Hill is just that little bit more unexposed. Um, and I just think this is going to be a good race. So we'll see how this pans out. For both Ross and uh, I and Tom and James, um, ahead of the, the feature, the showstopper, um, guys, the SBK Clarence House Chase over two miles. This is what we're going to have a really good look at now at 3.35. And before we get going, SBK will be best price on the Clarence House Chase. So very important uh, to note. Um, and at the moment, Shishkin is the 8 to 11 favourite. Enigamen is 2 to 1. First flow, last year's winner is 12 to 1, and Amula Gold is 100 to 1 to 1, uh, which just uh, reflects on, on what we've essentially, from a betting perspective, have a two-horse race in many senses. Uh, look, at the media, everyone's made no bones about what a clash that this is, and it's brilliant for the sport that we've got these two horses, one at his best over in Ireland, um, in Enigamen, his biggest test, and Shishkin, who has really shown all of racing what he's about at Cheltenham at the festival twice now. And he um, is currently unbeaten over fences in the same sense that Enigamen is. But is it that straightforward? Is it the case that Shishkin has just done the, done the more and Enigamen has got um, more, more, has to prove himself to be at his 
real Beth, and that's what the betting is suggesting. Uh, I see that Shishkin comes into this with much more than Edgarman has proved so far. Um, but I am massively respectful of Willie Mullins to bring this horse over here. And I don't think he brings anything over. He's done it with Indeso, um, with similarities and such with this horse, both being by Denman Red. And uh, look, it's set to be a cracker. Uh, I'll start, I'll go off to Ross, um, to you first, and get your thoughts on this race, because as I've mentioned, a race that we should be really, really pleased and proud to have running because this is what it's all about having the best of Ireland and England coming on our racetracks not just for Cheltenham yeah it it's a real treat and it, it's something the sport desperately needs these big horses to take each other on away from four days in March which we love the four days in March but the season's about more than that for me um so first and foremost let's hope whatever happens they both come out of the race well and crucially both run to their level next time Nicky Henderson was certainly damaged by the Altior surname uh, race, where he certainly felt neither horse was the same afterwards. Um, so let's hope we don't get a repeat of that. And that might just encourage the tide to change and people to take horses on throughout the season. Uh, I, I'd certainly in the Shishkin camp, I think he's a super horse, but I'm quite surprised to see the disparity in the market, eight to 11, two to one. I, I don't see it as, as cut and dried as that. Um, Captain Guinness is the only horse you can really use as a as any sort of form line. Um, he was eight lengths behind Enigamine at, at uh, Nace, and he was 13 lengths behind uh, Shishkin at Cheltenham in the Arkle. Uh, but he was galloped to a walk by Enigamine at, at Punchestown, but that's at the end of the season, a long, hard season. You couldn't take that at face value. Um, tactically, I think it's going to be interesting. Enigamine will probably make the running. You would think David Bass will try and repeat what he did last year on on first flow and and sort of engage Enigamine going down the back. Um, and then it's a case of how much rope Nico de Boinville is prepared to give them. He's not going to want to get involved, but at the same time, he's dealing with two very high-class horses. He's not going to want to give them an awful lot of distance. So it's going to be a fascinating race to watch. Certainly not a race I'll be betting and I'll be having a cup of tea and a slice of cake and, and, and watching it over and over again. Um, but if I had to make a selection as to who I think will win I think Shishkin is probably the best of two very very good horses and of interest do you think that's based on obviously we've said the form it's very difficult to sort of find the form lines obviously Enigamen has only had to beat what's put in front of him where Shishkin's beat Grenadine and beat grade one horses so do you think it's just what Shishkin's achieved at this at this point has proven that or do you think from what you've seen and in Ireland and in England, he just looks visually to you the better horse? Yeah, I, th I think he, he's visually the better horse. He has been afforded more opportunity to run to a, to a higher mark um, than Enigamine has had so far. I just think softer ground would have perhaps helped Enigamine. It's, it's soft, good to soft in place with the dry forecast. Um, he does maybe jump slightly out to his left and Enigamine is possibly better right-handed given that he slightly jumps out to his right. But... I just thought the Arkle win last year, when I sort of watched it back this week, it was brilliantly good. He picked them up and he went away from them. And it was a decent Arkle field. Um, and he beat them very easily. So if we've got two horses as good as Shishkin, then we're in for a real treat. But I, I think Shishkin is probably just a very, very high class horse. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I'll come to you next, Tom, because look, with Shishkin and Nikki Henderson, you've got a trainer that is 
where's his heart on his sleeve? We hear a lot from him a lot about, you know, uh, Willie Mullins, keep, keep, keep the boat at home, don't come over, all of this, you know, will he, won't he? There's a lot of drama around Nicky, whereas Enigamine, Willie Mullins, just the mysterious characters, you don't really know what's going on until the last minute. And with that, you don't really ever know how good their horses are. Um, Dysart Dynamo from the weekend being one you just they just go out and impress you every time they come out with not a huge amount of of word from the yard so have we seen the best from Enigamine yet obviously this is a big big test do you think that Shishkin has proven himself enough as as Ross thinks to just be too good whatever the case this is a race featuring two brilliant two mile chasers Um, it's the race we've all been waiting for uh, I can tell you there's been plenty of nervy times in the SBK offices over the last week and a half as we've been waiting for uh, Nicky Henderson and Willie Mullins to both um, declare their horses and confirm that they're going to run. Um, I had a bet on Shishkin last week at 15, uh, 15 to 8. I thought it was an incredible price. Obviously, this was when Nicky was saying he needs to go and work at the weekend and then we'll give him the green light. Now his odds on. Um, I think the value's obviously gone, but he's the most likely winner. He's run to a mark of 170 or higher on four occasions and Nagamine's done it twice. Now, as you mentioned, Shishkin's running better races. Therefore, the chance of him running to a mark of 170 is higher than an ergamine. But he has proven himself enough to me to suggest that he's a champion. And to beat a champion, you've got to be superb. And I don't think an just shown that yet. Um, this race is also going to set up perfectly for Shishkin with, with first flow in the field as well. Um, an when he's been running in Ireland, has been given easy leads out in front in much of his races. Now, Yes, that's due to his high cruising speed. Other horses don't want to go with him in the early stages because they'll just bottom out and have nothing for the, for the sprint at the end. But um, at the same time, he's kind of just had it his own way. It's been a piece of work most of his races. I think Shishkin this time will be able to sit just in behind Energamine and First Flow, who, as uh, Kim Bailey has said on a couple of occasions, is an oddball and a freak of nature. Um, and he hates watching his, his uh, races. So it'll be interesting to see how the race pans out, but I'm sure Nico de Boinville will be in the perfect position and then pounce in the straight and prove that he is the best two-mile chaser around. Yeah, it was really good uh, content that you guys created with Kim Bailey seeing, seeing a, a first flow at home with a plenty of headgear that they, that they train him in. Um, and they all have to be slight, slightly, nutty, slightly nutty. They have to have that kind of freakish nature. And Enigamine seems to be a bit like that Shishkin and in terms of the way he jumps, the way that he sort of lights up his electric turn of foot, it is slightly Altior-esque in a sense when he was in his heyday. Uh, James, from your perspective, what you've seen, and I think we've, we've, we've covered a lot in terms of where, what they've done, but as horses, the way, the way that they jump, the way that they travel, um, do you think that there's too much disparity in the betting here? Do you think that they should be closer together, Shishkin and Enigman, or as, as both Ross and Tom have said, is, have we seen a real, real true champion. Um, he could turn into an even better horse in the shape of Fishkin and Enigamen will have to play second fiddle. Well, the problem is with Enigamen, we don't actually really know what he can achieve because he's had six starts over obstacles, five of them over fences, and he's only had one horse ever get within 10 lengths, and that was Captain Guinness at Nace back in January on his second start over fences. And even then, he kind of burned him off pretty quickly, two out, and he, and he disappeared. So we don't really know what, he will find off the bridle in, in, in a battle because we haven't seen it um, over obstacles. He actually got beaten his bumper at Navin on his debut back in November 19. So that's a concern. I think there's a risk with an Ergamine that, that when he gets headed, he could fold completely because we, we, we don't know. Shishkin, he can look a bit lazy sometimes. He does come off a bridle. 
and a little bit like what Altior used to do. And then when he quickens, he, he just powers on through. So I think it'll be very interesting at halfway. I think Nicky will be delighted that first flow was in the race because David Bass was very aggressive on, on the horse last year and that worked for treat. He won the two and a half, the Peterborough, so you know he stays exceptionally well. So unfortunately for, for Paul Townend and Willie Mullins, an ergamine isn't going to be left alone in front, which would have been the risk if just going to have to be the one to, to take an ergamine on. That could have been a little bit tricky. My negative, I suppose, for, for the big horse is Nicky wasn't happy with him. He didn't go to Tingle Crink. Then the scope was bad. He wasn't sure was he going to go to, to Kempton for Desert Orchid or not. Decided to just in a week to the race, and he was impressive. Now, if he's had a bit of a trouble preparation, there's always a chance this race could come a little bit too soon. The big positive is, I think if Nicky could have found an excuse not to run, he wouldn't have run. So I think he's going to be pretty happy. But just in that niggling doubt, if you can take a really short price, I think he's the one that's most likely to win. The market's got it got it right. But your only niggling doubt is he has had a little bit of interrupted campaign, and, and would that catch him out if an ergamine can find off the bridle and it's going to be absolutely fascinating to find out what happens on Saturday. Great they're both taking part. Hopefully they both run the race, as Ross says. Um, and then we've got perhaps a rematch at Cheltenham in a couple of months' time. But uh, for SBK, they've certainly got the, the right two contenders in the main race. So for you, those slight niggles, we haven't seen Enigamen having to battle. Shishkin coming off the back of a, of a shorter break in between races. Is that given you the opinion to go one way or one or the other. I'm sticking with Shishkin as your winner, but there will be questions answered because we're going to know how good an ergamine is. And that's 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 going to be absolutely fascinating because, like I say, nothing's got within eight lengths the closest one ever got um, over fences. But Shishkin has actually had, had a couple of races, um, at entry in particular at the end of the season. It did look a little bit doubtful entering the home straight. So we know he can find under pressure and, and that's what we... We have no idea about Nergamine. And probably Willie Mullins doesn't even know what, what's going to happen when he gets into a proper battle. And, and let's hope we get one on, on Saturday. Yeah, we sure saw Shishkin in a proper battle with Abracadabra back in the Supreme Novice Hurdle. That was a fight. And he really knows how to when he wants to. I think he's pretty special. And as echo what all the guys have said about, brilliant to have this race. Let's hope that uh, all horses are able to put in their best. Um, come back um, fit and healthy and then and then potentially another rematch with a lot of these come at champion chase time in March but that is the inaugural running of the SBK Clarence House Chase it feels like we've got a full house for Shishkin uh, but Ross is probably most likely going to sit on the sidelines I don't really believe it's much of a betting race uh, myself either um, but it's one that I, I do think Shishkin's going to show his true colours um, and give uh, the, the British a little bit more to be hopeful for heading into the Cheltenham Festival in two months' time. Um, so we've come to the end. We've had a good look at this Saturday's card at Ascot and a, a proper deep dive into the SBK Carrots House. Um, for new customers, SBK will refund their first £50 in bets as cash, which is always important when we're thinking about um, a big betting day. Um, so as ever, we'll go and head to each member of the team for their nap and their next, next best. So we'll start with Tom Collins. Yeah, so I'll get the next best out of the way early because we've talked about it already, which is Fanny and Destravout and the 255 at Ascot. I think he'll carry the big weight to win. Now the nap is coming up Wolverhampton. So I'm going a bit outside of the box here, but I'm, I've got a busy day on Saturday, Jess. I'm at Ascot and then I'm hot-footing it to Sky Sports Studios um, to cover Stateside and Wolves, hence the Wolverhampton nap. And the selection is Old Port in the 6.30 at Wolverhampton for David Evans, whose team are in flying form. 
Now, this horse ran in sprint trips on its first three starts. Um, he's by the Gurkha out of a mare that stayed a good trip. So he was always expected to improve once going over a mile or further. And when he entered handicap, handicap company last time, I thought he was a decent bet, but I didn't back him purely because I just wasn't sure if he was going to be 100% ready on just his fourth career start. He was squeezed out the start and I was thinking, thank God for that. I would have wasted my money. However, he flew home down the outside in the style of a horse that was extremely well handicapped. He's only gone up five pounds in the weights. I think Old Port's going to win the 630 Wolves. We don't have a price yet, but I think if he's around four to one or bigger, he's a very good bet. Well, Old Port's get us out of trouble if everything goes wrong at Asker on Saturday. <laughs> so we love a bit of that on the podcast. So thanks for that, Tom. And Fanny and Justin about the next best, um, which has been a popular bet amongst others, including James, who I'd imagine is keen to keep him on side for naps as well. Yeah, he's my nap of uh, uh, the, the weekend because I like to go with jockeys that are perhaps a little bit unfashionable as regards to the, the wider betting public in particular. And, and Lucy Turner, she's impressed me this season. She's really come alive. Submon claim, absolute gold dust. I think Van Destreval, yes, he's a little bit tricky, but her quiet style will suit him. And I was impressed by what he did at Newbury. So that's the nap. And the next best, I'm going to go to Haydock for the opener, Papa Tango Charlie, who has looked a little bit expensive, but he's certainly turned the corner since going chasing. He's won both his starts at Carlisle. He's in an open novice chase. Not the strongest of races to open Haydock's card. And I thought he was a type of improver. He's impressed me a good time when he won on chase debut. And he's my next best. But uh, Lucy Turner, um, I'm hoping she comes good at Ascot. So 11-2 for Fanny and Jess Raval. Papa Tango Charlie is 11-8. to eight. Uh, Good card at Haydock. John, John Bond's up there as well. Um, so worth keeping an eye on that uh, card too. So thanks uh, to James for his nap and next best. And to Ross for some of his selections as well. So the nap, I've gone to Taunton for the 315, the Portman Cup. Uh, Yala Enki won it last year, despite two horrific jumping errors, the likes of which you've never seen. Uh, he was actually a fairly comfortable winner in the end. The conditions of the race mean he's very well suited by it. Um, he has to give a bit of weight away, but nowhere near as much as he would if it was a handicap. Three mile five suits him very well. I think he'll take all the beating again this year. And then my next best is, is Smurfy Enke in the 145. I thought he's very well handicapped off 127. He's a progressive horse, not climbing the weights, unlike a lot he's against. And I think he can get the job done at eight to one. Brilliant. And we've got Yala Enke at even money for uh, Briony Frost back on board for the Portman Cup. Um, so that's a good look at everyone's naps and next best for me. Um, Haydock is, uh, as I was mentioning, a really good card. And we're discussing Lucy Turner, who's on board um, Fanny Destreval, uh, because um, not just for her weight, but uh, Charlie Deutsch, regular rider, is on Royal Pagai, who returns for the Peter Marsh handicap chase um, at Haydock um, on Saturday. And uh, he won this race last year. He's a lot higher in the handicap. Um, he's, I think it's about seven pounds higher this year, but I think I think it's. Um, I think he's as good as ever and he's a lot better than this. And again, admirable that he's in here off top weight. Um, he's three to one. It might have a bigger bit of an impact on his gold cup price if he does go and win that. Um, but let's hope that they've got him back uh, to his best because he had another little niggling issue after uh, the Betfair chase. He's come here off the back of a break. Um, and my next best will be Palmer's Hill, who I think uh, represents a very good chance at Ascot uh, for the Don O'Neill team. So that is it. Um, for anyone attending Ascot, make sure to visit uh, the SBK activation area where you will find our very own Tom Collins. 
Uh, he will be on hand to provide tips, have a chat, have a catch up. He's there with his beaming smile. Um, so don't miss him. And there will be chances to win prizes at Blake's Pad on the ground floor of the grandstand. Set to be an epic day. Uh, very envious of everyone that's there. I will be working, unfortunately, so I can't be at Ascot. But I hope everyone can enjoy it um, and a race to save, a race for the ages. Um, so best of luck to everyone with their selections over the weekend. Make sure that you like, subscribe. Hopefully we'll all be back next week to uh, review what we saw on Saturday. Um, and let's hope that we have a great day of action. So thanks to everyone, as always, for joining us for another edition of the SBK Betting Podcast. 